creative journey It's easy to get lost But don't worry, you'll lift off Sometimes you just need A creative pep talk Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza. What if the problem isn't that you don't know what you want? Maybe you know what you want. Maybe it's not that you don't have great work. Maybe you have a whole portfolio of fantastic work. What if the problem is all of that just hasn't helped that much to this point? Maybe you're sick of waiting around for those perfect opportunities to come your way. So one day you get all hopped up on caffeine and you wake up at 4 a.m. and you just start cold emailing, man. You're, hello to whom it may concern. My name is blah, 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 blah. And you send hundreds of emails. You run out of email juice and the formal hellos to whom it may concerns and all that kind of stuff. And you just start direct messaging. You're just DMing and DMing and DMing and like, Hi, my name is what? My name is what? My name is Andy J. Pizza. I make illustrations for a living, or I'd actually like to one day. That's where you come in. And then next to the next DM and the next DM. And then you lock your phone and you just wait for the success to roll in. But it doesn't. It's just dead end after dead end after dead end. This is worse than the waiting game because you've opened up your heart and you put yourself out there and nothing happened. What do you do? That's what we're going to talk about today when you're in that spot. But before we get to that, just a little word from our beloved sponsors. Quick shout out to our sponsor, Skillshare. There's nothing better than getting better. Accomplishing growth is extremely satisfying. And online classes from Skillshare make it possible. Learn about illustration, design, photography, productivity, and marketing with Skillshare short classes. You can move your creative journey forward without putting your life on hold. I'm going to tell you about a class halfway through this episode uh, that is very on point for this process we're doing. It's called Design for the Job You Want, Personal Projects to Build Your Portfolio, exactly what we're talking about in this episode. You can check it out, Skillshare.com slash Creative Pep to get a free trial today. Uh, Thanks, Skillshare. We love working with you. This episode is sponsored by Wireframe, an original podcast from Adobe. This show is for small business owners who handle all the branding, content, and design all on their own. Probably a lot of people like you. Each episode features one small business owner. They pair them with a mentor who has built their own successful brand, and then they also give them a designer to help them execute the plan to solve their problem. In the middle of this episode, I'm going to tell you about an episode that I think is related to the stuff we're talking about today and can also be of use to you. You can go find Wireframe in any podcast player that you use, and uh, I'll also include a link in our show notes. So um, thanks, Wireframe, for all the support. (laughs) 
This is episode three, the final episode of our Creative Pathfinder series. This is a three-part series about how to know what to make today to unlock the opportunities that you're perfect for tomorrow. Essentially, what personal work can I make before anybody asks me to that will help me get the professional work that I am after? So this series is designed to help you find your creative path, help you make some of the most difficult choices a creator has to make. Uh, you know, what should I make? Which path should I take next? And how do I actually get there? This series is a new adaptation of our Creative Career Path Framework. Get a free copy of our Creative Career Path e-handbook by signing up to our newsletter at creativepeptalk.com slash path. The three episodes in this series are like a three-act story. Act one, the creative call to adventure, a.k.a. defining what you want. That is the goal-setting section. Act two, that was episode two, the creative journey, a.k.a. living your creative montage, you know, doing the work, putting in the time, building your own personal project. This is where you do the work of making the project that helps you move towards what you want. This is the making section of your path. And then act three, which is what we're talking about today, slaying your creative dragon, a.k.a. going for the work you want head on, armed with that creative project, that creative portfolio of work, that personal work. This is the marketing section of your creative journey. Are you ready? Let's do it. Chapter one, clothe yourself in the enemy's skin. <laughs> that sounds gross. It's not as gross as it sounds. Um, sounds kind of violent. That's not what I'm saying. Okay. If you find yourself in a place where you know the opportunities you want, you've started making the kind of work that you believe makes you a perfect fit for those opportunities, and you believe you're ready to finally get a chance to actually do some of them or do more of them, is there anything you can do other than just wait around and wait for someone to hand those opportunities to you on a silver platter. Yes, I believe there are things that you can actively do that will help you reach those goals. And it starts with clothing yourself in the enemy's garb, so to speak. Let me explain what I mean by that. So this whole three-part series that we're doing is heavily inspired by storytelling. Each of the three parts, like I mentioned, corresponds with the three acts of a story. This is act three. This is where it gets interesting. This is where it all comes together. The character knows what they want. They've trained for it, and now it's time for the climax of the story. It's the boss fight. This is where it all comes together. But... Before that fight can even happen, before you actually get the chance to show the world what you're made of creatively, you got to get in the freaking castle, man. You got to get you got to get past the guards. This fortress is heavily guarded. Like maybe you could slay that dragon of making an incredible movie, but how do you get into the guarded fortress that is those pitch rooms? That is that those meetings where you sell it or even get into the movie theaters. 
maybe you could slay the dragon of writing an incredible pop song, but how do you even get the chance to get into the castle that is the studio where those collaborations happen? Maybe you could write an amazing kids book, but how do you get into that editor's pile of books? Like that's a heavily guarded fortress. Believe me, I know from a decade of pursuing making kids books. You know, I saw a movie over the weekend that I just honestly really disliked. I'll say, I I don't want to get harsh, but I really, really disliked it. And you know, it made me mad because this is this was a huge studio movie and you got to ask yourself, how did they freaking get in the castle? Like, how did they get this past the guards? Like, there's, they were so, in my opinion, ill-equipped to slay that dragon. <laughs> I'm not saying I could make a better one. I don't make movies. I don't know. But I just really disliked it. And as a creator, someone who has, you know come up against so many moats that uh, I could not get past or that just took me so long to get past. It's frustrating when you see something like that movie. Uh, But I think it illustrates the point that getting into the castle is a totally different thing than slaying creative dragons. Like maybe they're just experts at getting into the castle. Or maybe they were born in the castle. Maybe she's born with it. Maybe it's privilege. Of course, you know, privilege and luck definitely play a part into who gets in the castle and who doesn't. I'm not denying that. But approaching the castle strategically can make a huge difference. And take that from someone who has wanted to get into a lot of castles. You know, the castles of... Advertising illustration, kids' books, public speaking, podcasting, making gig posters, editorial illustration, and even more than that. Like, there are many, many times that I have experienced setting my target on a particular goal, on a particular market that I have no experience in, and got into those places on purpose. Having done that a bunch of times, I have a few ideas on how to scale the castle walls, so to speak, or at least find backdoor entry into those arenas. And I've seen some patterns in how this happens across the board. Look, it's not going to be easy. It doesn't always work out exactly how you would like it to. But more than anything, in this episode, the thing I want to communicate is Yes, you cannot control everything. You can't control or orchestrate every outcome. But in my experience, you have so much more power than you think that you do. There is tremendous power in knowing what you want, working for it intentionally, and and pursuing that in clever and persistent and thoughtful ways. Uh, You might not ever get into the inner sanctum of that castle wall that you want to be a part of, but with the right strategy, I think you can get past the moat and it's a lot better of a place than you are right now. How does one actually do this? Let's go back and look at storytelling. We're going to have to dig past the pop culture watered down take on myth making and go back to the source. Like in screenwriting, many follow the classic hero's journey when they're making a movie. 
that was laid out by Christopher Vogler in his excellent book, The Writer's Journey. But this is Vogler's version, and it is a simplified take on what the comparative myth scholar Joseph Campbell originally outlined in his classic story structure that he found throughout all the world religions that he studied, and he called it the monomyth in his classic book, A Hero with a Thousand Faces. Campbell's outline actually includes several parts that you don't hear about in these later editions, in these later adaptations of the hero's journey framework. So one of the pieces that you might not have heard of that's not usually included in the modern adaptations is known as wearing the enemy's skin. And this perspective is key for understanding, I think, and in my experience, how to break into the markets you're desperate to create in. And although you may not have heard of this phase in the story structure, you're definitely familiar with it because it's a massively common trope in modern books, movies, and TV, and then throughout time, even old stories, old myths. You've heard the shtick. You're completely familiar with it. It's the idea of the hero gets into the castle, gets behind enemy lines by dressing up like the enemy. So in Wizard of Oz, the Scarecrow, Tin Man, and the Lion dress up as the guards to get into the witch's castle, literally. In Star Wars, Han and Luke dress up as the stormtroopers to freely move within the Death Star and eventually rescue Princess Leia. Now, these gatekeepers that you're trying to work with are not actually your enemy at all. And in fact, I can't imagine any artist truly wanting to break into an industry that they don't feel deeply passionate about and passionate about belonging to. Like they're the opposite of your enemy. They are probably people you hope to be friends with someday. These are your people. But the idea is that you are hoping and praying and fighting and making art so that someday you can break into that world and prove that you are one of those people. So they aren't your enemies, but even so, how do you get them to let you in? They don't know that you're not their enemy. They don't know that you are perfect for this world. How do you get behind that castle wall? This is more than dressing up for the job you want, not the job you have. This is about clothing yourself in the enemy's skin. It's about going beyond skin deep. This is uh, this whole idea of dressing up uh, in the enemy's garb is really symbolic of getting into the enemy's head. It's about seeing from their point of view, putting yourself into their shoes so that you can figure out how they see what they see so that you can get in their sight line, so you can get their attention and wow them over and eventually letting you in for a chance at taking down that dragon. And so we are going to use this idea of dressing up as stormtroopers in your particular medium and get into your particular Death Star. Let's talk about how to do it. Chapter two, slip past undetected. Okay, 
So you're ready to put on the enemy's clothes. Why are we going to do this? Because the easiest, most effective way into the castle is not to storm the castle gate with a huge battering ram. Battering rams were a huge part of my childhood. I feel like, man, you just never stopped. Like, get the battering ram. I, I've never seen a battering ram. I don't even know if they actually existed. I'd guess probably there was a time when they did, but man, I feel like I was kind of, but look, we're not going to get a battering ram. That's not the, that's, there's a much easier, more effective, less violent way to get past these gatekeepers and these gates, okay? Uh, we're not going to storm the castle gate. We're going to slip past the guards undetected. Okay, for me personally, this is how it looked. Uh, it kind of felt exactly like that. The biggest, most heavily guarded castle I've ever scaled is the picture book industry. If you don't know, if you've never tried to make a picture book uh, professionally, you know, to get it actually published, you might not know how long that line is, how heavily guarded that castle is. It took me ages to get where I wanted to go, and I'm still working on it, honestly. I started uh, climbing that castle wall back in 2012. Back in 2012 is when I started to seriously pursue uh, writing and illustrating kids' books. Now, my first widely published book didn't come out until 2018, and I only illustrated that book. And then next year, in 2023, over 10 years later, my wife and I will publish our first kids' book that we author and illustrated. So it took us over 10 years to get where we wanted to go. How did we eventually get into those castle walls? Did we do it by sending a billion emails? No. I tried that. It didn't work. I, I emailed them, you know, so many editors, so many pitches, and it didn't get me anywhere. What worked was wearing the garb of the enemy. The person that hired me for my first widely published book in that I illustrated in 2018 did not even know that was my first widely published or first legit kids book. Why? Because I clothed myself in the enemy's kit. How? Lying? Conning? Absolutely not. There was no trickery or dishonesty involved, actually. I just merely went about making kids' books without anybody's permission. That was the key. In 2012, I released several stories uh, for kids on my blog and then I stumbled into some ideas, some storylines that I was really interested in pursuing in a deeper way. And so I turned those into kids' book-like zines. Uh, I made three of those. And when I was approached by a small independent publication um, our publisher with a new tiny indie Swiss design publisher, they wanted to... Uh, published some of my work as their second book that they'd ever produced. And I asked if I could do one of these kids' book zine stories. And they said yes. And I only got paid in books to, to make that board book. It was the tiniest release of all time. I can guarantee you that. But they printed it really well. It was a beautiful book. Then I got asked by someone from a 
British design studio if I could illustrate their kid's book that they were self-publishing. Again, modest budget, but I went for it. After that had launched, the person who hired me to illustrate my first actual traditional kid's book didn't realize, based on all of that work that I'd already done, that I hadn't actually worked on a widely published book before. Not only did they not realize, here's the kicker, they didn't care at that point. Why? Because I had already done a tons, a ton of kids' book illustration. I was already a kids' book creator, even if I hadn't been properly, quote-unquote, published. The label, the work, they are in your control. No one can stop you from being a musician, a writer, a filmmaker. The label in the work, that is the uniform of the enemy and you can put it on whenever you want. I didn't break down the castle walls. I slipped in through the gates and the truth is, I also put in the work to be a kid's book maker by taking that journey and making all of that work. In act two, we already set up everything for those. All you have to do is follow through. And if you feel like an imposter, just remember every title and label is detested by somebody, okay? So, you know, you might feel bad. Like, I don't know if I can call myself a kid's book illustrator until I'm published, you know, worldwide. But there are thousands of fiction creators that think kids' books are trash. Just remember that that there, there's tons of writers that think kids' books aren't even real literature, okay? So before you feel like, I could not possibly call myself a kids' book maker, just realize, to some people, that's the worst thing you could call yourself, okay? Um, don't think of yourself so high and mightily. Don't, don't get too romantic about these labels. Maybe you feel like, I can't call myself a pop musician. It's, it's too pretentious. But there are always someone who thinks that pop musicians are the lowest thing you could possibly call yourself. It's all relative, so don't overthink it. If you illustrate kids' book illustration for your blog, for your zine, for that teeny tiny Swiss design publisher, you are a kids' book illustrator. You do the work, you get the title. Doing the work and, and, and owning the title, those are the uniforms. Now let's talk about one other trick for finding a weak point of entry into this fortress. Hey, I want to tell you about a class on Skillshare called Design for the Job You Want, Personal Projects to Build Your Portfolio with Allison Kaler. Uh, this is exactly the kind of thing that we're talking about in this series that we've been doing, uh, how to make the kind of work that gets you to where you want to go. And I think this class is really useful for what we're doing because it's such a practical uh, visual representation. Um, Allison is actually working on a personal project to do just that as she goes through the class, but you don't have to just take it from me. You can listen to the actual reviews of this class. This course is detailed enough to get you started. After this course, there should be no more worries and questions about how to get started um, getting your work out there. Go check it out at skillshare.com slash creative pep for your free trial and um, go take a class that will help you put some of these things we're talking about to action and see it happen in real time.
Hey, I want to tell you about an episode of the Wireframe podcast by Adobe. So as you go do your uh, work that helps you look professional, like we're talking about in this episode, sometimes in that process, you can look a little too professional. You can kind of lose your personality and it can be difficult to know how to strike the balance between making your work personal, but also professional. And if you're in that place, I would recommend the episode, um, Philip Wang and Carly Ayers help Hangover Coffee personalize their brand. That episode, they dive exactly into that where this person's social media is just looking a little too on point and it's not showing any of the behind the scenes, any of the personality. And so as you go build this practice online and kind of dressing for the job you want, so to speak, how do you also inject personality so it's not stale? I think that is a huge question. That's one they dive into in that episode. Go check it out, Wireframe Podcast, wherever you get your podcasts, or check the link in the show notes to um, listen for yourself. Thanks, Wireframe. Chapter three, the call to adventure. We're calling this the deep cut is the firstest. I once asked Seth Godin, who's a, a marketing legend, what would you tell an illustrator who wants to work with the New York Times? His response was pick a different line. That is a Super long line. The amount of illustrators that want with the new, want to work with the New York Times is super long. You're picking the wrong target. Now, when we started off this journey, you might have, you probably did, and I think it's a great idea to target something that special for your particular creative practice. But you can't stop there. You have to go further. You have to go for a deeper cut. Now, I'm a I'm a fan of MF Doom. Got into him when I was in college. Uh, rest in peace, MF Doom. Uh, one of the greatest rappers of all time, in my opinion. He has been called your favorite rapper's favorite rapper because um, he's a rapper's rapper. You know, there are people like that. There are artists that are comedians, comedians. There are bands that are your favorite band's favorite band. Those are the deep cut artists within your particular market. And you can't just go to the New York Times. You can't go to the art director at the New York Times. You got to go, what is the art director at the New York Times' favorite newspaper, favorite publication, favorite magazine? It's probably something much, much deeper of a cut. Okay, now I'm not asking you to do anything inauthentic. If you don't know your favorite rapper's favorite rapper, then you are not invested enough into this market to be a part of it. I am recommending that if you don't know your favorite rapper's favorite rapper or your art, your favorite art director's favorite art director, I'm saying it's time to go deeper into this world. And if that doesn't sound interesting to you, it is not the right world for you in the first place. 
You have to go. You have to research what is the most deep inner sanctum of this castle and be extremely familiar with it. That is the place where you are going to find your break. That is the weakest point of entry. When I wanted to get into making band posters, okay, what did I do? I I just sat there and I listed out every single band that I was obsessed with, that I would have be that would be a dream to work with. And yes, I tried to find ways of contacting most of them. But the ones that I actually got through to were my favorite rapper's favorite rapper, so to speak. Now, the people that I got in contact with were uh, some of my favorite musicians, but they were also my favorite musicians' favorite musicians because they were less known, because they had their email address posted on their website. And so you got to find the deeper uh, cut You've got to go deeper in. So here's what I would recommend you do. You sit there and you say, okay, put at the top that goal. Maybe it's work with the New York Times. Maybe it's be on uh, this particular Spotify playlist. And then I want you to work backwards and I want you to list every single playlist that you would love to be a part of. And you start with that huge aspirational one. And then you work down to the more and more obscure, the ones that you're having to reach for, the ones you're having to think deeper for, the ones you're going to have to research perhaps even and go further and further and then flip that list around and spend as much of your marketing time, as much of your uh, cold email time and, and connection time working backwards because those points of entry within the castle walls are so much weaker because the lines are just longer. Not only are there less people going for those things, less people care because you have to be deeply invested in the music world to know those particular bands and be fans of those bands. And so here's what you need to do. You need to go list out Work backwards. You know, what are all of the steps to getting to that big aspirational goal? What are the obscure, deep cuts that only the true fans know about? And then figure out how to get them a taste of the work that you made in your personal project and make those connections and be in those places. And instead of spending all of your energy standing in line like it's Black Friday at this castle wall, just hoping desperately that you get to be one of the people that gets the free TV. Cut it out. Quit spending time in those long lines and instead find the short lines and just cut your teeth and spend the time doing that work. Because if you do, guess what? If you're doing work with your favorite rapper's favorite rapper, your favorite rapper is going to be like, hey, man, this is this is the good stuff. This is the cool stuff. And they're going to be that much more likely to want to work with you. And not only that, the experience is going to be so much sweeter when you're doing it for the love of the game, when it is the castle that you want to know every nook and cranny of. And if you don't, if you find yourself thinking, look, I just don't want to go that deep, 
Those deep cuts just aren't that interesting to me. I recommend you give it all up and you find a different castle because that is what it takes. It, it takes getting that deep. And the things that I have had the most success in are the ones where I am deeply interested in the deep cuts. I've gone deep back in the history uh, and, and into the obscure nooks and crannies of the kids book world because I'm just that passionate about it. And um, that passion and that interest and that research becomes your most potent weapon, your biggest battering ram. Just to summarize it real quick, step one was instead of battering down the gate, quit trying to storm the castle. Have fun storming the castle. And instead, get into the enemy's mindset. Put on the enemy's garb. You know, start learning how to walk the walk and talk the talk and be truly a part of this world. Step two, don't wait for them to knight you within the castle of kids books and say, finally, you're a New York Times bestseller. We knight you, a kids book maker. No, clothe yourself by, what, what are the clothes? The clothes are doing the work. If you're doing the work, you can have the title. I was a kids book maker. I was a kids book illustrator. As soon as I started making those blogs and zines and little tiny Swiss books, getting paid only in books, I was doing the work. I had the title. Those are the clothes to close yourself in. So, so do the work and, and, and own that title before anybody else knights you. You don't need their validation or permission to do the work. And the third thing is, Take that highest aspiration. Take your favorite art director that you dream to work for and then say, who's their favorite art director? And then who's that person's favorite art director? And then who's that person's favorite art director? You are going to find a publication or a newspaper or a magazine that's super obscure and probably extremely interesting and just as fun to work with that has a much shorter line, that has a much emptier inbox and approach them with the work. It's going to be deeply satisfying and it's going to be way less crowded of an endeavor. Take that list and flip it upside down. That is your trick. That's your call to adventure today. The last thing I want to leave you with is this whole idea of clothing yourselves in the enemy skin. It sounds very kind of toxic masculinity, you know, macho, like um, wartime, uh, you know, your friends, your enemies, the good guys, the bad guys. But the most interesting part of this whole thing to me was as I was reading about this idea in Joseph Campbell's book, A Hero of a Thousand Faces, the whole idea of putting on the stormtrooper outfit or dressing up as the guard is that not just that you slip into the castle, but that you actually gain something deeper, which is empathy. In the old ancient stories, it was 
as much about slipping into the fortress as it was just seeing from someone else's perspective and starting to have compassion for them, starting to understand them, starting to understand that they are also human. And I think sometimes as we approach our goals with the fervor and caffeination that we approach them with, we are emailing and DMing with no humanity and expecting them to give us all of their time. And it's just not very kind. It's not very empathetic. And I think ultimately this whole quest, this whole process that we went through in this episode is also about having some understanding and having some authenticity. You're not necessarily donning that stormtrooper outfit just to get in, just to trick them into believing that you're one of them. That's just going to lead to imposter syndrome. And hopefully as you start to clothe yourself, as you start to do the work, by the time you are fully functioning within that world, you will be an authentic part of something that you want to actually be a part of. And I think that is the greatest part of this whole process. We used to, or we were selling the Creative Career Path handbook that a lot of these ideas come from for $5 as an ebook, and um, we actually sold out of the paper version. Uh, but for this series, at least, we are giving away that ebook. All you have to do is go to creativepeptalk.com slash path, P-A-T-H, Uh, and sign up to the newsletter and you will get a free PDF version of that little concise handbook, uh, the Creative Career Path handbook, Um, something that we're super proud of and really excited to be able to give to you. So if you have enjoyed this series and you want to work it out on paper, Uh, There's also other things that we didn't have time to talk about in these three episodes. Go check it out, creativepeptalk.com slash path for your free copy. Massive thanks to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our theme music. Huge thanks to Connor Jones of Pending Beautiful for editing the show. Thank you to Ryan Appleton, Sophie Miller, and Katie Chandler for podcast assistance of all kinds. And until we speak again, stay pepped up. Stay pepped up.